Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. And all of it. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll turn to the book of Psalms, Psalms 95. And um, uh, again, today we begin a time of 40 days of fasting and prayer. This is the longest season of fasting and prayer I think we've done as a church. And so we're asking, hopefully you will join us in some way. But this is the passage of Scripture that the Lord has given me throughout this fast. And I want to share a couple of passages that are in, in, it, in, in it tonight. Uh, just as, as to start off with, we'll be referring back to this chapter uh, several times throughout the 40 days. But I want you to remember uh, as you read and pray and as you pray that you'll pray this chapter, that you'll pray over this chapter, study this chapter uh, because there's a lot of truth that's in this passage, and it's a very powerful verse of Scripture. And so I'm ringing just a little bit, guys, just a, just a touch. Um, and so uh, obviously during this time of 40 days of prayer and fasting, um, the next 40 days, of course, we need to be praying for our nation. We know that our nation, we're in a time of unrest. There's a lot of conflict. We know that it's an election season. And uh, you know that the last several weeks, I have tried to speak to you where we are as a nation spiritually. And, uh, you know, we talked beginning of July and June, we talked about our godly heritage. I tried to lay a foundation of uh, what our nation's godly heritage is. We dealt with racism. We talked a little bit about racism. We talked about social issues. We talked about the four biblical principles, the four biblical foundations that God has given us and how we are to respond to those foundations and how we are to not only deal with social issues, but that if you're going to deal with social issues, you have to include the gospel in those moments. So in other words, if you're going to give someone a drink of water and, and, and to satisfy their thirst you must also satisfy their spiritual thirst. If you're going to clothe them with clothes, you must not just clothe them with clothes, but clothe them and share with them the righteousness of God. And so we talked a little bit about that. We talked about knowing the Bible, the foundation, and we talked how the Bible played its role in the forming of our nation. And uh, we know now how, how intricate the Word of God was in the forming of our nation. And so we know that that, that, that is a powerful thing. There's been just this, this, this movement that has tried to uh, displace the Word of God in our culture and in our hour. And so why is religious rights and freedom so important? We talked about that. Now, before I begin tonight and get into a couple of things, there is a place I want to go, but I, I want to show you a video. And, and religious freedom is important. Not only religious freedom, but just freedom in itself. And religious freedom is important, and religious rights are important, and individual rights are important. And, and so, but I want, to, I want to show you a video. Uh, this is a, a gentleman uh, who grew up and lived through uh, some of the communist change that went on in Czechoslovakia uh, when his nation turned from a democratic nation 
to a communist nation. I want you to listen to his language. I want you to hear the, the couple minutes of his testimony of what happened. Because what began, how it began, how he explains how it began in his nation, I want you to recognize some of the familiarities that happened in his nation that we are beginning to see happen in our nation. And then we'll get right into the Word of God and talk about a couple of different things, but I want you to hear this tonight. It'll, it'll, it's very interesting uh, what he has to say. Go ahead and play that, guys. If somebody uh, told us that we were going to be crawling through barbed wire fences and escaping and moving across the ocean to America, everybody would have said, that's absolutely silly. That'll never happen. If they'd caught, let's say, a politician who opposed them, they put him on trial, but evidence might have been presented, but you know, the outcome was a foregone conclusion. So they had total control of you. That's how a dictatorship is run. My father was, first of all, uh, very patriotic, had uh, strong beliefs in democracy. The people that he helped were, if not friends, very good acquaintances. He knew they were going to get killed. So when he got arrested, my mother got arrested and my brother, who was eight years older, got arrested. So my whole family, except me, were in jail. Uh, then my father would, would have been executed, but my mother managed to bribe the judge. He got sent to concentration camp in lieu of that, where he was, you know, beaten and not fed. I mean, basically tortured. As soon as he escaped, his name was on the radio all the time. And he was one of the most wanted people. There was a, a secret service sitting in our front hallway all the time. As you study history, one needs to be vigilant all the time because you cannot take anything for granted. When uh, you start losing freedoms, it is more than likely that it'll keep on chipping away. The opportunities we have, the ability to express yourself and do whatever you want to do and be able to achieve uh, things without being blocked are unparalleled. The political correctness is, is, is ridiculous. I mean, it, it's just going too far. Defending the ability to have crosses or Christmas decorations just is getting to a point of absurdity. When I think about uh, what was happening in Czechoslovakia at that time, there are parallels because I think anytime you start taking away people's freedom, it just goes on. And you must take guard in the early stages as opposed to wait and let it all collapse when it's too late. Nobody expected communism in Czechoslovakia when it happened. It happened. Amen. I showed you that video because 
Uh, he said a couple of things in there that, that I want to draw attention to. First of all, he kept talking about the chipping away of rights, uh, the chipping away of little by little taking away uh, our, our liberties. And he personally, uh, actually that came from um, uh, the Liberty Research Institute that is, defends religious liberties, and Larry Shackerford, um, he actually is friends with that guy. And he's not a Christian, but he was talking about uh, what happens in nations when they begin to turn towards and they begin to remove liberties from people's lives. You say, well, why is that important? What happens to a country when the rights of religious liberty is taken away? And uh, you say, preacher, you're going to, pastor, you're going to preach on this and keep praying? Well, we got an election coming up, and I'm just going to preach on it a while. And, and I'm just going to throw some tidbits into each of these messages because the problem is we as Christians don't really know what our rights are. We have set back and let, uh, let somewhat of godlessness come in and steal from us truth and take away from liberties from us, and we've kind of watched it happen. But I believe that when God sends revival and he begins to revive us, there's going to be a renewing and an awakening of the church. And in that renewal, God is going to make the church stronger than it's ever been. And I believe that. I believe that's coming. Religious liberty. If you give a definition to it, it is is to worship uh, or not to worship as you see fit. That is what religious liberty, our First Amendment, uh, gives us the right to religious liberty, which was established in 1791. This is what it says. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting um, the free exercise thereof. In other words, uh, this was one of the five freedoms that we have that is given in our First Amendment. Now, I'm not going to spend time going through all of our Constitution, but we have to understand there's a reason our forefathers made this the First Amendment. There's a reason they did that. Matter of fact, Article 6 of the First Amendment says this, No religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. So what is that saying? It's saying that anybody that runs for office, that their religious beliefs should never be a test for them to hold office or to step into public office. And we know that that's, that's part of the Constitution. But what we've seen in the past is we've seen judges that have been appointed by a president who sat before Congress, and Congress is always asking them, how does your religious belief dictate how you will serve in this position? We've watched it done. We've seen it, we've seen it done. And uh, they did it with Brett Kavanaugh. They did it with other judges. Uh, I've watched it. I've researched it this week, and I saw two senators ask a judge, uh, two senators ask a judge associated how his Christianity would affect the way that he makes decisions as a judge. I mean, that's unconstitutional. But what happens is we allow this stuff because we never stand up for it and we never fight against it. And I'm bringing this out. Our 14th Amendment says this, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of a citizen of the United States. In other words, uh, what they're saying is, is that no laws shall be made 
that inhibits the freedom of us as citizens and the, to exercise the privileges that we do have. And so it's, it's interesting because our Constitution is the supreme law of our land. We know that. In 1789, we were given the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights, uh, the, the first 10, the Bill of Rights uh, 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 were given. And what are the Bill of Rights? They were the first part of our Constitution. Why is that? What are the Bill of Rights? Well, the Bill of Rights is, is the limited power of government by guaranteeing the rights that are inalienable to us. What does that mean? That means that the Bill of Rights was given. They are the inalienable rights. What are inalienable? Those are the rights that God has given us. You know there's rights God has given us that man has not given us? That's why it's the first part of the Constitution. They put it there because the reason they did that was because they wanted everyone to know that the rights that we have in freedom are not given to us by government. They are given to us by God. And those Bill of Rights are those freedoms that we have that has been given to us. In other words, because God is a higher than government, they cannot take those rights away that have been given to us by God. Why? Because they established that God, as our creator, is a higher authority. Our founding fathers recognize that we all have a creator and that transcends human authority. Are y'all getting it? So what's that tell us? That tell us this nation is not a secular nation. We were not found on secular principles. We were founded by forefathers who enacted inalienable rights to us that came from God that cannot be compromised. They cannot be taken away. They cannot be pulled out from us or taken from us as, as, as believers, as, as citizens of America. Now listen, as godliness increases in a society, it always results in more government because the government ends up with the desire to replace God. Y'all hear what I'm saying? As society gets more godless, then what happens is government puts more restrictions on the people for the purpose of replacing or substituting for God. In other words, men and women always have worshipped something. It's our nature. We're created that way. We will worship something. We will put our dependence in something. We will always look for something that cares for us. We always will look to that. If we, were not looking, if we are not looking to God uh, for our... our uh, for our morality, uh, for, uh, our, as our lawgiver, then we will look to government and humanism instead. That's just, that's just what happens. God created us to worship. And so if, if we do not look to God for our rights, if we don't look to God for our dependency, if we don't look to God as our sustainer, what happens is in a godless society, the way a godless society begins is that government increases in its control over the people and begin to substitute what God would provide for the people, the government will provide for the people, therefore the people become dependent upon the government and not dependent upon God. 
Are you with me? Hang with me. This is how, this is how dictatorships begin. There are two things that happen when dictatorships try to take over. Or when socialism or communism or all these things that represent godless governments try to take over. The first thing that they begin to do, they begin to control uh, religious belief and the religious conscience. In other words, the first thing they do is they always outlaw, the first step is always to outlaw freedom of religion. Isn't that amazing? Why do they do that? It's just like he said in the video. They started taking crosses down. They would not let people worship as they want to. The first attack in a society that is moving towards godlessness is to restrict the religious freedoms of the people. Now, I don't know about you, but as we look over the landscape of our nation, I feel like there's a conscious effort to begin to do that, to try to restrict and remove from us those things that are inalienable to us that have been given to us by God. If you can restrict religion, if you can restrict the exercise of and, the, and the, the worship of, then what you do is you restrict God. You restrict God, and godlessness begins to replace it. I'm telling you, there is a strategic uh, 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 thing behind the enemy in which he is trying to do uh, in this nation. The second thing they do is they begin to control the nuclear family. They begin to abolish the nuclear family. They begin to separate the family and create divisions in the family. The third thing that happens is, is that there's a suppression of truth and suppression of speech. The press is controlled. The media is controlled. People uh, uh, derive all of their rights from the government instead of faith and family. Now hang with me. I am going somewhere. I'm not just ranting. In other words, what we depend on and what supplies us, whether our needs are spiritual or whatever, who we depend on is who our loyalties will go to. In other words, if our dependence is upon God and upon faith and upon our family, if I get my values from my family, if I get my faith from God, if I, get, if I get that which makes the core of who I am from my faith and my family, then my loyalty is to my faith and my loyalty is to my family. You hear what I'm saying? But if you abolish the influence of faith and the family, then what happens is people's loyalty are no longer towards faith and family, but they're, they're to those who take care of them, who their dependence is upon, at the expense of freedom and conscience. Are you with me? Does that make any sense? Because what happens is, that is why we are seeing the riots that we see over this nation. You know why? Because people are displaced in the fact that they thought government was their answer, and they're finding out government is not their answer. So what does that do? They've depended on government to be their source all of this time, and when they find out that they no longer can take care of them, what do they do? They live in a place of hopelessness. But thank God, as we are the people of God, even though we walk through a trial, we understand that our dependence is not on man, but our dependence is upon God. 
And so even though we go through a trial or we go through a season or we go through a pandemic, we can walk through it knowing, knowing this, that even though things may seem bleak or at times or difficult at times, we know this, we know our hope is not in man but in God. And so where are our loyalties? Our loyalties remain with God. I believe that the longer people are dependent upon government or dependent upon something else beside God, our conscience begins to get seared. That is what I believe Paul is talking about when he speaks of a seared conscience. A seared conscience is the relinquishing of values. It's the relinquishing of your loyalty. And so now you no longer are loyal because you want to be loyal. You're loyal because you are driven by your flesh. You're driven by your appetite. You're driven by those things that to seek dependence. So you are driven by those things. And so what happens in a society as godlessness increases, their consciousness toward God begins to decrease. I hope that makes sense. I heard this week and read this week that China's rewriting the Bible to make it a communist Bible. That's more palatable to people. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, what are they doing? They're alleviating people from their conscience and their, their conscience's ability to rule and to make decisions based on morality that they are searing their conscience so that their life dependence is not upon God, but upon man and humanism. One of our senators, AOC, she said this. She said this not too long ago to our Senate. She said, Christians have used religious rights and liberties to justify bigotry. Well, she couldn't be any more wrong. Because the truth is, the accusation of bigotry has been used as an excuse to attack religious liberty. In other words, we don't have a constitutional right that protects us from being offended. <laughs> Just because you're offended at something doesn't mean that that's unconstitutional. And so what happens is there's this distorting of truth, this suppressing of belief, this suppressing of, of truth that takes on. And, and so... I like what John MacArthur said. John MacArthur said the reason why there hasn't been much uprising and the fact that churches have been persecuted is because the church has learned to live in pragmatism. In other words, we've lived in this place where, where the church has been defined by various forms. And what happens is, is that we have not, we've been more concerned about offending the ungodly and we have been preaching the gospel and ministering truth to individuals. In other words, we have, we're more concerned about what the world thinks of us than it is preaching the gospel and doing what God has called us to do. In other words, the event, in other words, it's, it's you know, churches just become an event. And so we, it becomes an event, so we move along with the culture. I like what he said. I posted it today. He said, you don't need an army, uh, you don't need an army to conquer a nation. Uh, you just need fear. And there's a lot of truth in that statement. And so that being said, 
We need revival. How many know we need revival in our nation? We need God to awaken us. We need a move of God. We need a refreshing touch from God. We need God to touch us in a powerful way and so that God can begin to move in our nation again like I believe that he can. If you're with me in Psalms 85, I want to read a couple of verses of scripture to you as we begin. And it says in verse 1, Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. How many would say God's been favorable to this land? God's been favorable to this nation. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people, and you have covered all of our sins. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. You have taken away all your wrath, and you have turned your fierceness of your anger. And verse 4, restore us, O God, to the God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease, and you will be, uh, will you be, how long will you be angry with us? Will you prolong your anger to, to the next generation? And I love what verse 6 says. He said, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, God, and grant us your salvation. How many know that's a good prayer? To ask God to revive us again. Show us his mercy toward us. That he shows us his mercy that he may grant unto us again unto salvation. Now, revival is interesting when we talk about revival. Scripture has mentions a lot of passages of Scripture about revival and what revival looks like and what it is. But it's interesting because when we talk about revival, it's kind of like, uh, how many know men don't like to go to the doctor? Right? How many of you wives have tried to get your husbands when they're sick or when they... Uh, have, you know, things going on and you try to get them to go to the doctor, they just sometimes will not go, right? Anybody? A few people? Folks? In other words, so what happens is, is that uh, if you think like I do sometimes, men say, well, I'll just take something and that'll help it. And you take a pill, you take a, uh, uh, whatever you need in order for whatever's happening in your body if you're sick, and you take it, and all you worry about is that the pain would be relieved. And you're not sure what's going on. You just, as long as the pain is relieved, you're okay. You, you feel good about it. You feel all right about it. In other words, if the meds work, then, you know, but here's the thing. If, if sometimes the meds only deal with the pain, they never deal with truly what is the ailment or what is the sickness. Is that right? So if we just take meds and never deal with whatever it may be, if it's an infection, you can take meds for the pain, but it's only masking the infection. And, and, and really, if you're really going to get down to it and really bring healing to your body, how many know you got to deal with the infection, not just deal with the pain? And what, happen, what, is, what happens in, in our nation sometimes, we, we deal with the pain, but we want to face the pain, but we don't want to deal with the infection or the root cause of why something is like it is. 
And so as the church sometimes, we are, we're just like, we just give pills out. We give spiritual pills out for people's discomfort in their life, but we've never really want to or take the time to or spent the time to really deal with really what the sickness is or what the infection is or what it is that has caused the pain. And what happens is we give these spiritual pills that mask the problem but never deal with the root of the problem. And I believe the church has somewhat been that way toward this nation. We have given the nation spiritual pills to mask what the real root of the infection is. And what happens is we've been so satisfied with just being a little bit of church, doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that, while we've let our nation that is sick and infected not deal with the root of what really is going on in the lives of our nation. And so now we have to begin to ask God to come and begin to deal with what is really going on. Address the real thing. See, it's not that the pain's not real because we feel it. Is that not right? It just happens to be, it, it happens to be, not be the real thing. In other words, it is, the pain is a thing. We feel it, but it's not the real thing. And revival's about getting down and dealing with the roots of things that come up that keep a nation away from God or keep a people away from God. Dealing with the reality of what really needs to be, be looked, dealt with and what really needs to be happening in, in, in a, a nation. The root issue is, is our need for revival. There is a need for awakening. God, revive us again. Bring revival again. How do we know we need revival? How do we know we need renewal? Because revival is always uh, presupposed that there is a spiritual decline. As you look at revival through Scripture, you will see each one is introduced to us in Scripture with a crisis, something painful, that need to be fixed. In order to get it fixed, they had to identify what the real problem was spiritually. When there's a need for a revival, there's always a spiritual decline and a spiritual decline is always consistent with the need for revival. Revival is evident for, from a lack of spiritual life and victory among God's people. In other words, when you see a season or a, or, or a time period where God's people do not live in victory or where God's people lack spiritual life or there's, there's spiritual life and victory amongst God's people, that is... That is an indication that we need a move of God, right? Would you say spiritual apathy is an indication that we need a move of God? Now, I say that because addictions among Christians are higher than ever. Christian divorce rates are as equal as the world. Division among God's people. In other words, anger and lovelessness among God's people. In other words, when we begin to look at the church, and I said this a couple weeks ago, we cannot begin to deal with social issues in our nation and begin to deal with these things that are biblically wrong until first we begin to deal with them in the body of Christ. 
until we begin to deal with these very issues, these very infections, these things that, that are deep-rooted in the body of Christ that we've allowed to go on, the perversions, the addictions, the sexual immorality, the things that happen, these things that have kept an infection in the body where we've lost our spiritual vitality, our spiritual strength, our spiritual boldness because uh, there's the pain but yet we mask the pain, but we never deal with the root of really what is happening in the body of Christ. I had a pastor friend I was talking to you this week, and he was in a preacher's meeting, and this is what the pa- one pastor said to him. He said, I just do it for the paycheck. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, I just do it for the paycheck. Now, does, now that there, that there tells you, that there tells you we need an awakening in the body of Christ that needs to start with the guys that stand behind this desk, right? Because men are not called anymore. They don't feel called. They, they answer the call. That, when I answer the call to preach, I, I answer the call under the guise that I was giving everything I had in my life up to do what God asked me to do. I've, I, at times we've had positions here at the church and, and we've called universities and looking for this or that to fill this spot and just kind of get resumes. And, and the first thing that, that people that I've interviewed on the phone, many of them, the first thing they say, well, how much does it pay? Well, I understand that. I understand you got to take care of your family. I understand. And, and so my next question is, well, what does it matter? Well, I've got to take care of my family. What do you think we would have let you come here and not let you take care of your family? How much you want? Well, I'm worth 100000 <laughs> Maybe you are. I just don't have 100000 <laughs> But maybe you are. That's not my point. My point is this. Is that there has to be this thing that bursts in us, this desire to seek God and to go after God with everything that we have in our lives, to pursue God with everything we got. Let the revival, let the renewal of God begin to work in our lives in a powerful way. In other words, revival is not changing movements. Revival is an encounter of repentance that takes men's heart and turn them back to God. Revival is not the next phase or the next movement that sweeps through the body of Christ. That somebody gets on the wave of that movement and all of a sudden that movement becomes popular. No, revival is really, revival is not a movement. It's an encounter of repentance with God. It's men turning back to God because they realize their lives and actions have broken the heart of God. People coming to Christ, getting saved, learning that Jesus is preeminent in our lives. And so I've wondered, I thought, Lord, what has kept, what has kept revival? What has, what has kept revival from happening in our hour and in our day? What has kept revival from really moving in our nation and moving in our churches? 
What are, what, are, what are some of the reasons, God, why we can't seem to get through a breakthrough? Why the apathy doesn't lift? Why there's not? Why do we struggle? Why are we allowing religious rights being taken away? Why are we allowing certain things to happen? And why is there there's this thing in the church and this tribalism in the church? Are y'all about sick of tribalism in the church? I'm so done with uh, all of this separation and division that happens in the body of Christ. Well, you don't sing like I do, so we're not going to fellowship with you. And you don't have a doctrine like I got, so so we mark you off and we mark you out. I want to tell you the prerequisite of the body of Christ has always been the blood of Jesus. (laughs) And the resurrection. I understand there's fundamentals of faith, but but a test of fellowship for me is not because... I gotta. I, I I preach out of the New King James, and you preach out of the King James. We've made stuff like that a test of fellowship. And so, what happens? He said there in this verse. I got to touch on this because uh, I, I, it just it just has struck me as I read and prayed when he said in verse one, "Lord, you have been favorable to your land, and you have brought us. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob." That's an interesting word. The same Hebrew word uh, for captivity there is the same Hebrew word for restore in verse 4. It's the same word, same Hebrew word. It's just a different uh, English pronunciation in Hebrew. But here's here's what's interesting. Is that as I begin to think about this, many commentators say, well, it is talking about the captivity of the children of Israel coming out of Babylon, the captivity of Jacob, which means is a reference to uh, Israel as a nation. Jacob is a reference to Israel as a nation because, you know, uh, they're a nation under Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, and so there's a reference. I, and, I, and I believe that. I believe that's true. I love what Erdeman said, though. He said, when you talk about revival and you talk about restoration, there was no other character in the Bible that experienced renewal like Jacob experienced. Jacob experienced renewal with God. He experienced renewal. How did he experience renewal with God? He had an encounter with an angel. Do you all remember the encounter that Jacob had? And he wrestled with the angel. He wrestled with that angel. He he wrestled. And what happened? After he wrestled with an angel, he wrestled with an angel and he said this. What did he say? He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. What was he doing? He was wrestling with himself. He was wrestling with himself. Listen, when we pray and fast, when we get with God, this should be a season that we wrestle with ourselves. When we learn and and, and say, listen, God, we're not going to let go until you touch us, until you revive us, until you renew us, until you strengthen us. Jacob said, I've been so tired of living like I used to live. I am not going to let you go until you bless me, until you touch me. That's our approach to prayer toward our nation should be, is we should say, God, we're going to get on the altar and seek God, and we're not stopping, we're not giving up until you touch us. And that is what, that is what, when he's talking about revival, what did he do? He returned the captivity of Jacob. The word really actually means to some, maybe even in your translations, it may say, even captivity may be used as, uh, it may say the fortune of Jacob. It's really the treasures that belong to Israel. Remember when they were taken away in captivity, remember what Nebuchadnezzar did and the kings did, they plundered them. 
They took what was sacred to them, what was treasure to them, what belonged to them that was sacred. And what happens is when sin gets in our lives, we lose those treasures that belong to us. And the enemy robs us of those treasures. And as long as we remain in captivity, as long as we are wrestling with God, those things are kept away from us. But once God turns around again, our captivity, he restores us back to the spiritual riches that were in our lives. And I really believe that God really wants to bring back, turn the captivity of our nation again. Turn the captivity of our nation and the spiritual truths and riches that so uh, ran through this nation, through the church for years in the great awakenings. God again wants to renew the church and restore the fortunes that were lost in sin. It's a powerful statement. But I've got five minutes, and I'm going to give you this really quickly. This is why I, I really, it's going to be five minutes. This is why I believe. We talked about this Monday night in our Bible study. This is why I really believe the church has lost revival. I believe that God has positioned the church with authority. When Jesus died on the cross, he restored man. He restored man, he restored man back, and he restored what Adam had stole. The Bible tells us in Luke that Jesus, as a man, returned. It says, all authority, all authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give you, I give it to you and whomever I wish. In other words, Jesus says, all authority I have gained back. In other words, through the cross, Jesus has gained back all authority. There is a spiritual position the church should occupy. There's a spiritual authority that we should walk in. There's a spiritual dominion that we have And I'm not talking about, listen, you're going to have to get away from thinking the supernatural, the gifts. What I'm talking about is a spiritual authority that has been given the church, that has been given to us as our rights positionally through what Jesus did on the cross. In other words, there's a spiritual authority we have as a church. There's a spiritual authority that we have as believers that has been given to us through Christ to occupy those places. We know that God has spiritual places for us because in the book of Acts, it says this about Judas. When Judas died, it said this, let his dwelling be place be desolate and let no one live in it. In other words, what's that tells us? It tells us that God has a particular place for us a place where we are to operate in, in spiritual authority as believers that have been given to us through the body of Christ. Now to save time, I want to show you real quickly what has happened to the spiritual authority and how spiritual authority is restored back into our lives. And I want us to see this. I want you to see this. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, and I want to read this to you. And I'm going to be very quick. But I want you to get this. 
What has to happen for renewal in America and what has to happen for renewal in our world is the church again has to step into the authority that we have been given to us by Christ. Now, ever since Jesus took back that authority from Satan and overcame death, hell, and the grave and empowered the church with that authority, the enemy has been trying to displace us ever since. In other words, it's his desire that he moves us off those places of authority. In the book of Matthew chapter 28 and beginning in verses 18 and 20. I want to read this to you. So what it says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has given, been given to me in heaven and on earth. How did he gain that authority? Through the cross. Is that not right? Through the resurrection. Look what he says in verse 19. He says this. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things but I, that I have commanded you. Uh, I am with you always until the end of the age. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me that is in heaven and earth. Then he makes the command and he says, now go therefore. In other words, he attaches his authority with our calling. In other words, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. I command you to go. Therefore, go and do what? Make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. In other words, what he is expressing there, go therefore, that we are to step out into our God, give his authority and our calling. In other words, he has attached them together. Now, how does that work? You don't have to turn there, but for sake of time, I'll just read it to you. You go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. This is what it says. What is the exceedingly greatness of his power toward us who believe, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, where? In heavenly places, it says. So listen, when Jesus, when Jesus rose and what God did in him, when he rose from the dead, he seated him at the right hand where? In heavenly places. He said in Matthew, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. And I say, now go therefore. So Jesus has been seated in heavenly places, plural, places. Now, Ephesians. If you read further, it says, for this reason... This is found a few verses later, and it says this, And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sin. How many are thankful that when you were dead in your trespasses and sin, Jesus made you alive? He raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, what's he saying? He has seated us with him in heavenly places. Do you all getting it? In other words, what authority he has won through the cross, we have been seated with him and have been given the right to carry the authority of God in our life as we go make disciples and go therefore, we walk in that authority that God has given us. Now, why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important, because what has happened is, is that when the devil 
displaces us in an area of authority, he takes back that area. So what do you mean? What does, what does James say? He says, give no place to the devil. Give no place to the devil. So when we give, when we give areas of our life that God has given us as authority, when we give those up, Satan steps in and he has a right, he has a right to displace and disrupt our lives in those areas that we don't exercise authority in our life. Let me give you an example. If we don't exercise the biblical authority that God has given us as a parent or as a father, what happens is by our unfaithfulness, we are displaced by the enemy and now he has permission to disrupt that area. Y'all see what sin does? What sin does, it displaces us from the authority that God has given us and a right that God has given us through the blood of Jesus. But when sin reigns in our life, we give place to the devil. We give that area over. See, when we don't obey God in an area, we give that area over to the enemy. And the problem is the church is not walking in authority. We have given too many areas of our lives over to Satan. And he has done what he's wanted to do in those areas because we have not walked in the authority that God has given us. When he, when he strips authority or displaces us, once again, he has the authority to operate in that area. So why do we need revival? Because I believe there's areas that we have been displaced as believers. I believe there's areas that we have given room to the devil and there's areas that we again need to walk in the authority of God. Remember at the beginning of the message I told you that their Christians are more are just as addicted almost as the world. Christians divorce rate is almost just as high as the world. Christians Christians are battling listen why? Because we're not walking in authority. Because we don't understand the word of God. We don't understand the power of the word of God. How many know God wants to turn our captivity again? And re-again give us the treasures that belong to the believer who walks in spiritual authority. Stand with me tonight if you would. I'm telling you, this is, not, this is so, so real in the day that we live in. Satan's desire is to knock off and to knock off every place of authority that the church has a right to. And I want to tell you, he's trying to destroy the church. I'm telling you that when that happens, it begins... He has a right to step into that place. We're going to pray in just a second. And I want us to pray and ask God that God, he would renew in us, that God would begin to begin to revive us, to begin to begin to work revival in our heart, begin to turn the captivity of Jacob, begin to turn those to wrestle. In this 40 days of fasting and prayer, we need to wrestle with God. We need to come out on the other side believing that God, believing that God 
is going to bless us and touch us and say, God, we're not going to let go until you begin to move in our nation and begin to move in our church. We've forfeited places of authority that God has given us. God has given us. God instituted the the marriage. We've forfeited that place. We've allowed our world to redefine it. We've allowed our world to define it. God has created us. We've allowed our world to displace us and to tell us uh, uh, God created us binary and we've allowed the world to redefine that binary and tell us this and that. We've lost authority in that area because we've given place to the enemy in those areas. We see it with innocent life. We see it with abortion. We see it with these things that the church, we've just allowed to set and take place and happen, and we have not walked in the authority that God has given us as believers. And I believe that renewal and revival and reviving us again is when we begin to step back into those places that God has meant for us to have authority. For husbands to be husbands, for fathers to be fathers, for mothers to be mothers, for for you and I to step into those places that God has given us, the ability to pull down strongholds, the ability to have an authority in prayer, to have authority in our finances, to have authority in our areas, which means we are obedient to God in these areas. That's when renewal will come. That's when revival will spring forth. When our houses get in order, our lives get in order, when we begin to give God what belongs to God, God was angry with them because they had replaced him. They had substituted him with something else. You know what breaks God's heart when we substitute our lives and we give our lives over to something other than God and we substitute him for what the real thing is? I don't know about you, but I want the real thing. I want God. And so I'm just going to pray that, we will, that God will re- begin to reinstitute his, his purposeful authority in your life. We are seated together with him in heavenly places. He said, therefore, all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go. Make disciples. Be the church. Father, we pray tonight that God that you would move on our hearts, that we would walk in the authority that this word and the scripture has given us. We pray, God, that we will be well aware of the fact that we need revival. Your word said, it says this, will you not revive us again, O God, that your people may rejoice in you? We all cry out tonight and say, God, show mercy upon our nation. Grant us your salvation. David said it like this, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace to His people and to His saints. But let them not turn back to their folly. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. God, reinstitute your glory back into this land. Put your hand back on this land again. Do not turn away from us, God. Do not let your anger be toward, toward us, but l- please bring revival. Bring your salvation. Bring and rescue us, God, again with your mercy. Let us see you face to face as Jacob did to know you.
I pray for every family. I pray, God, that every area of our lives that is out of order, that is dysfunctional, that has out of order, we pray, God, you'll put back in order. Every area of the church that's out of order, and God, speak to us. Show us, God. Let us again turn our captivity. I'm believing, God, to turn your captivity, to turn what has the enemy has meant to try to destroy you. God's going to turn it for your good. God's going to turn it for your good. God's going to turn it and change it, reestablish it. Let authority come into your life as a believer. We thank you, God. And so, God, we pray tonight that we would yield to you, that we be that we would, our hearts would be turned towards you. Let mercy and truth, let, they, let them meet together as righteousness and peace have kissed. We pray righteousness and peace will meet together. There will be an intimacy between righteousness and peace. We thank you, Father. We pray for our nation tonight. We pray for the unrest. We pray, God, that the order will be brought back into this nation. We pray the authority that you have given our government and you've given our leaders, that that authority be reestablished again, God. For our hope is not in man. It's not in humanism. Our hope is in God. Our dependence is upon you, O oh God, for you have given us certain inalienable rights. And we pray that we recognize them and walk in the authority thereof. Let peace come upon people. If anyone is hurting tonight, let the peace of God come upon them. And we thank you. Jesus name we pray and everybody said thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast if you feel led to give you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com if you've enjoyed the podcast you can subscribe or share with your friends thanks again for listening God bless you